know, sometimes we feel like the people we talk to are never going to come to the Lord. And it's so easy to get discouraged. And the thing that keeps me from, or gets me out of that place of, uh, I've had it, is to remember how long my mother prayed for me before I became a Christian. And the same with, what's her name? (laughs) So, you know, God doesn't get tired like we do. He just um, just sit at the foot of the cross and look at Jesus and all of a sudden the despair will go away when you see what he's going to do with everybody else. And it's not up to us to despair. It's up to us to be encouraged and to just keep sharing the truth. And that's what I want to do this morning, talk about the truth. You know, a few weeks ago, I talked about a question that, um, you know, the people had been talking about Jesus and they were saying, some people were saying he's John the Baptist come back from the dead and some were saying he's a great prophet, meaning the prophet that Moses was talking about and some people said, no, he's Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked the disciples, well, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, of course, that's the question for us, for every one of us. Who do we say Jesus is? It's an eternally important question. But it's not the only question, of course. There are lots of other ones. And one of the other ones that I want to look at is one that... um, Actually, there were two questions that we're going to start with, and one of them I never got to. So... The one that we're going to look at today is the one that um, came from the lips of Pilate. When Jesus was standing before him at the trial with the mob jeering and yelling out before the governor's palace, Jesus told Pilate, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asked that question that was laced with sarcasm and generally a who cares. He said, what's truth? And that's the question, just like who do you say Jesus is, that everybody needs to get a grip on. What is truth? We can't live in the truth, we can't walk in the truth, and we can't believe the truth, and we can't love the truth if we don't know what the truth is. Let me go through a few scriptures this morning to help us out to know what scripture says truth is. John 1.17 says, <clears throat> The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that there was no truth under the Old Covenant. 
under the Mosaic Covenant, Jesus clearly reveals that there was. But what the New Testament does is it removes the shadows. It's no longer a vague, cloudy truth. It's crystal. It's absolutely clear for everybody to see what the truth is. And in John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says, If you abide, continue. In my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus makes a distinction between those who are his disciples and those who are not. The distinction is that of abiding or remaining in his word. Remaining makes you a disciple. By remaining, you know the truth, and by knowing the truth, you're set free. That must mean that if you don't know the truth and you don't abide in the truth, you are slave to sin. The corollary is there. And in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you want to be certain that no one is offended by Christianity, by Jesus, then all you have to do is speak about Jesus in a way other than how Jesus speaks about himself. Then you don't have any trouble. Talk about Jesus as being a loving teacher that never condemns anyone and is everybody's friend. You won't have any trouble at all. But that's not how Jesus speaks about himself. He's the way. The way to the Father. The way to have our sins forgiven. The way to have a life pleasing to the Father. He's the truth. We see the truth about the Father. We see that God is personal. He's a person, not some vague personal force we see he's holy that he's merciful and that he's loving he is the life he sets us free he gives life he, he frees us from the chains of eternal death Jesus is the way to God he's the truth of God and he's the life of God he's eternal <clears throat> And he's revealed in the flesh. John seventeen seventeen. Jesus is praying to the Father. And he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To be sanctified means to be set apart for a specific purpose. It's the idea of being a holy vessel in the hands of God. And how does a person become sanctified? How does he become set apart? Jesus says it's by the word of God. The world lives according to what it thinks is true. By the values and standards that are really worthless, but which they esteem 
they value greatly. Jesus says, that which is highly esteemed, that's what's highly valued, among men is detestable in the sight of God. So whatever you value, you need to examine it and see what place in your life it has. Because God says, if it's something that you value more than you value me, it's detestable in my sight. So how do we know, how do we walk in the word and not be conformed to its likeness? The only way to do that is to know the truth that Jesus is talking about. We've got to know the world and life the way God sees it, not the way the world sees itself. The way it really is, not the, the cloudy, distorted way the world looks at it. Psalm 119.60 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. All of Scripture is true. Not one of God's commands will ever cease to be. There's nothing frivolous, optional, or anything like that in the Word of God. Isaiah 45.19 says this, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. God speaks the truth. He declares what's right. And this, of course, is the opposite of what our culture teaches today. Today we're told there are no objective standards of truth. So what we're left with are feelings, impressions, intuitions that can never be judged as good or bad. That approach ends up with people in a pit of despair. If everybody's right, Nobody's right. If every viewpoint is equally valid and valuable, then no viewpoint is valuable. Isaiah 9, excuse me, 59, 14 says, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth has stumbled in the public square and uprightness cannot enter. And God tells us in Jeremiah, And you shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord, their God, and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their life. Oh, we're getting a picture here of what God says is truth and what the result of not believing the truth is. Truth may not have been apparent to Pilate, but it is and it should be to everybody that reads the Word of God. Pilate looked straight into the face of incarnate truth, truth in the flesh, and he could not recognize it. 
He looked at truth and he couldn't understand what it was. Truth is defined as reality. It's how things actually are. It's it's genuineness. It's actuality. In theology, truth is that which is consistent with the mind, with the will, with the character, and with the glory of God. God's law, his word, is valuable. It's worth more than gold. It's sweeter than honey, and it brings great reward, the psalmist tells us. God's word is absolute. Everything contrary to the truth is a lie. Truth is exclusive. It's not inclusive. Truth discriminates. It excludes everything that's not true. Now, I realize if I was talking to a group of people in the world right now, I'd probably be stoned. But this is what the Word of God says. Since all truth is God's truth, then all untruths are Satan's lies. Most often, the Bible uses the definite article when speaking about truth. It's the truth. It's not a truth. It's exclusive. Truth never contradicts itself. It's always in harmony with everything else it says. Truth never presents many worldviews. There's only one. It's singular. It presents one origin of the universe. It's one problem for the human race. It's one way of salvation, one way of holiness, one standard for the family, and one end of human history. It's exclusive. It doesn't include anything else. Everything else is a lie of the enemy of the enemy of our soul. Truth is objective. Words have meaning in regard to the truth. The truth is black and white. It's not abstract, it's not vague, and it's not nebulous. It can be observed, it can be discussed, it can be studied. It can be believed, it can be proclaimed, and it can be defended. Because truth is objective, it's important, it's it's impartially unbiased. It's unprejudiced. It never bows to public opinion. It never says one thing to one person and something else to the next person. And truth never changes. God doesn't change, and neither does truth. Right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. Isaiah says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Truth is authoritative. It speaks with the supreme authority of God. It always makes demands on us, and it never just offers suggestions. It never presents options to us, because truth is demanding, 
It has to be heard. Romans 1.18 reads, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It's not that men <clears throat> seek the truth but can't find it. But rather when they're confronted with the truth, a truth that they clearly perceive, they seek to obstruct it, to suppress it, to push it down. Scripture says men are without excuse. That is, they can't say they didn't know. They know because God actively <coughs> makes it known to them and creation clearly reveals his truth and him. So what happens when the truth is rejected? Look at Jesus before Pilate. The crowd... crowd that was called together by the Jewish leaders, and it's mainly a crowd, you know, it's it's early in the morning. Everybody else is asleep. The only crowd that's there is the one that the chief priests have called together. That's why they're all screaming for Jesus' blood. If there was anybody there that believed in Jesus, they were few and far between. So here you've got a mob. And they're railing against Jesus. And when Pilate seeks to, seeks to release Jesus, what does the crowd say? They say, crucify him. Crucify him. And what were the consequences of rejecting the truth for Israel? The truth rejecting for Israel. In just a few years, it was destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, thousands and thousands of deaths. And it was the result was eternal enslavement, punishment, for everybody that agreed with Pilate who said what's truth in a way that shows he didn't care one way or another. And what happens to society if it puts love and money Self-interest ahead of the truth. Let me give you one example of what happens in the book of Revelation. In the 18th chapter, please read the whole chapter, but let me just read the first 14 verses. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison for every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. 
and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her, fl- her plagues. For her sins have piled up high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds, in the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the, de- <clears throat> to the degree that she has glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am not a widow and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one way and one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment is come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. The fruit of you long, the fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. And it goes on to talk about the merchants mourning, and the kings mourning. What exactly is Babylon? Some say it is historic Babylon, the city that tormented Israel for so many years and enslaved them. Some see it as a symbol of Rome because it talks about seven hills. And a lot of people see it as symbolic of every kingdom and culture, past and present, that's godless, that doesn't believe the truth, and that abides by its own sensuality. But whether it's a city, whether it's a system or a culture, if it opposes God, it falls. And what happens to the ruins left behind? They're unfit for human habitation. A dwelling place for every unclean spirit, every detestable animal. So who are the clients of this immoral, ungodly world system? It says all nations and kings and presidents, the merchants of the earth, all who fall 
for the seduction of sex, wealth, fame, and pride. Verse 4 calls for God's people to come out of the system or they're going to fall into the depraved lifestyle of those who've abandoned God. Sound familiar? It's very current. The system's going to be destroyed and the kings and the merchants will weep and mourn, but not because of Babylon. They're going to weep and mourn because of their loss of profit. It's all about money and prestige and selfishness. The heavenly angel says in verse 14, the fruit for which you saw, <coughs> the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your desires and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The Lord's very clear about truth. What he says about immoral behavior, marriage, and how to be called to live is not obscure. When money and power become more important than obeying God, then judgment is sure to come. There's no question about it. Scripture warns Christians of the world's power to capture their hearts and minds. Satan's agenda appeals to the sinful cravings of humanity. 1 John 2, 15-17 say, says, a familiar scripture, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whatever or whoever does the will of God abides forever. Those who live for anything other than God are going to lose everything except His judgment. The whole uproar over bathroom use by people who identify themselves with a sex other than the one they were born with is an attack on families and it's an attack on, attack on righteousness. It's an attack on truth. And when money is involved, principles and virtue are quickly sacrificed. It's called selling the truth. Proverbs twenty two twenty three says, Buy truth, and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Truth is the final word in all matters. It's the final judge of every life. All people are measured by the truth. Every life is weighed in the balances by the truth. It tells us how to follow Christ. One last picture. The mob is still enraged. It's still screaming. 
The words are still the same. Crucify the truth. Crucify the truth. Let's pray. Lord, there's only one truth. It's the, it's the person of Jesus. It's his word. It's all he says. It's all who he is. Lord, open our eyes. Give us understanding, wisdom, and courage to walk in your truth and to run from the lie. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Roger, you and Bill Warner.